0: my name is Jeff Sachs I'm the director of ATID on behalf of everyone that's involved in our organization and particularly uh, those that were involved in putting this evening together who you'll meet uh, presently welcome thank you all for coming I apologize on behalf of Rabbi Bravander uh, who was slated of course to be here and to give his customary summing up uh, he was called away uh, and is in London today, uh, so he won't be with us, but to uh, send his apologies and uh, and his regards. Um, I, I, I saw my old friend Rabbi Alan Haber from MMY, uh, Alan I don't know if you remember this, 20 years ago I was uh, on a summer tour here in, in Israel, an NCSY summer tour, and as part of the program, we brought the the kids to Yeshiva HaRatzion, to the Gush, where you were then, I think, studying in the kollel, well. uh, Or you were here for the year, or doing something, I don't recall. And it was in the summer, I think it was actually even during manim. And uh, we spent some time in Alon Shvut, and then we took them to see the Beit Midrash, which was like, you know, basically empty, because it was after Tisha and we sat upstairs in the Ezra Nashim and you were there giving some kind of talk or a shiur to the kids about Torah Eretz Yisrael. Do you remember this? And one of the kids, not out of chutzpah, but but I think out of a genuine interest, asked a question along the lines of, what's all this about Torah Eretz Yisrael? Why is learning Torah here We've been hearing this, we're full of this. Everybody's pushing this on us, the importance of learning Torah in Israel. What's the difference? You learn a you Gemara in Alon Shvut or Yerushalayim or Yavna or wherever it is, or you learn it in New York or Boko Raton or Philadelphia or Farakaway. What's the difference? You gave an answer, which I won't repeat here then I gave a different answer. Not that I disagreed with you, but I had my own take on it. Then one of the other counselors gave their own answer, and so on and so forth, until there was this harmony of voices uh, all addressing this topic. Uh, and it's a it's a very rich one. And it's a very complex one. And on behalf, I think, of almost all of us here who are involved in teaching Torah in Israel, I, I hope you would allow me to say on your behalf, on, as well as my own, Ashwenu Matov chalkenu, that we are all involved in teaching Torah Tashem in Eretz Yisrael, for most of us largely the students that are here as visitors. We hope that they'll upgrade their status. Uh, and that's something very worthy, and it's something very noble, and it's something that We're all very, those of us that are involved with that, it's something that we are all very fortunate of. The the impetus for the discussion tonight should in no way take away from the significance of that fact, the significance of what has been accomplished these 35, 40 years since American Diaspora students have been coming to study Torah in Eretz Yisrael, and the accomplishments that are made every single day in the classroom, in the Beit drash, in the Chador Ochel, Shabbatot around teachers, teachers' tables and communities throughout the country, in no way should diminish from those accomplishments and the schuyot that are rightly those of the people that are entitled to those squeey. We were approached by two by two people, neither of whom I should say for the record was myself or Joel Finkelman, um, with these opinion pieces. They don't necessarily reflect my own views. They don't necessarily reflect the views of our institution as if institutions have views and everyone exactly what that meant. Um, and we thought it was interesting because although they each came from their own perspective, and they were each addressing a particular field of problems, there was a point of intersection, and we'll talk about that. And we thought it was worthy to put it out, and since the the, the printed articles, copies of which, along with some of other, other publications, are available back there uh, on the tables, since it did draw such attention, we thought it would be worthwhile we thought it would be worthwhile to convene a discussion evening. Now, in order to do that, sometimes you frame things in a somewhat provocative way. I don't think that I don't think that um, you know we're going to solve all of our problems tonight. I don't even think that we're going to agree on what our problems are tonight in order to solve them. But I think Molly, we we saw each other last night at parent-teacher conferences, and, and you pointed out very correctly that just the very gathering of mechanchim, of together in a room, to discuss, to discuss important matters, is, is important. And it's something that we rarely have an opportunity to do, and it's something that is, is very unhealthy professionally unhealthy. It's, it's unhealthy for each of us as professionals, and it's unhealthy for the profession as a whole. So if we have an opportunity to get together, to discuss an important matter, to disagree, to perhaps point a direction forward for ways that we might improve our collective work, again, Ashrenu humatov chelkenu. I'm going to pass the microphone over to Dr. Yoel Finkelman, who is fulfills his job to get us to think about things and to put things onto the agenda of of Jewish educators and he's once again done that well uh, with this particular uh, particular item Um, and he'll explain to you how the evening's going to work at the end of the evening after we have a chance for some questions from the audience uh, we've asked in place of Rabbi Bravander we've asked our friend uh, and colleague and member of the board of ATID, Dr. David Bernstein of Pardes, to kind of give a little summation to help us understand what it is that we've heard or are about to about to hear. So thank you all for coming, and I look forward to an interesting discussion.
1: Thank you, uh, Rabbi Sachs, and thank you to the panelists. Um, I, I want to just briefly talk about what's going to happen this evening and how we've tried to organize it um, and begin by saying that um, the interplay of economics and education is not going to go away. Uh, we are going, we've worked very hard to make sure that this evening is not uh, an attempt uh, to suggest that somehow educational institutions can ignore uh, the economics, people have to make a living, people have to balance their budgets. In ein Kemach uh, in torah, one does not have to be a you know Marxist to suggest um, that uh, that education and uh, and chinuch ought to work ideally harmoniously. Um, uh, and I think therefore the topic is extremely important. Both essays really kind of the overlap on the Venn diagram between these two essays is the way in which Chinuch and uh, and economics um, play themselves out. The two essays were criticized um, with a degree to my mind uh, correctly of being kind of focusing on uh, negatives uh, focusing on criticisms uh, and not focusing enough on productive positive things and I hope we'll be able to focus this evening on uh, positive developments, things that we can do to work uh, to, to move forward. Um, certainly do not want to see the focus drift in the direction of personal accusations uh, uh, or institutional accusations um, and we really hope that we'll be able to keep things focused on productive uh, comments. Uh, and therefore we're really not going to deal with um, uh, matters of hiring and firing and the exact details of uh, this uh, individual or that institution's uh, practices. With that being said, um, this not being the forum for such a discussion, we are interested in convening a um, a, a smaller working group of educators, of administrators, of interested professionals um, who would like to think through on a more practical level um, what ought to be um, uh, employer-employee relations. What are the minimum standards? What are the minimum legal standards? What are the minimum menschlich standards? If there are people here, or if people here know of others who are interested in being involved in such a smaller, uh, more closed forum, a working group to try to create uh, a document that describes both legally and from a menschlich perspective what ought to Yachase uh, Oveid Maavid look like. Uh, please, Emunad uh, Diamond, uh, who manages uh, the Atid office and the web yeshiva, um, uh, has a sign-up sheet available. Uh, and I also want to point out that suggesting that such a working group be put into place is not to suggest that any or all institutions are in gross violation. Uh, My employer is uh, located here, and I (laughs) should point out that I have been treated with nothing but uh, proper professionalism. Um, uh, I also want to introduce uh, the panelists tonight. Um, uh, Mrs. uh, Molly Brofsky, uh, uh, just about to be a uh, clinical social worker who's been teaching at uh, M.M.Y. for many years, and who is a uh, Bogaret of the Atit Fellows, um, uh, Rabbi Alex Israel, uh, who teaches in uh, Yeshivat uh, Zvi, um Tzvi, uh, Rabbi Donny Goldstein, um, who uh, I've, I've been told that I can out him as the uh, person who wrote the economic uh, uh, side of things, uh, uh, and who uh, provides perspective both as... Um, uh, both as a, uh, a staff person in Midrash at Amit here, but also somebody who, as a congregational rabbi uh, of the Kingsway Jewish Center in Brooklyn, has the perspective, some of the, uh, some of the U.S. perspective and some of the uh, communal perspective, um, uh, and also Rabbi uh, Yamin Goldsmith, who also provides um, uh, um, both the Chutz perspective and his administrative roles in schools, Uh, in North America and is uh, the Menahel of uh, Shalvin uh, for women and of course is a Boguer of Viettid Fellows. The plan is as follows. Uh, Each of the panelists will have about 10, maximum 12 minutes uh, Frankfurt online time um, uh, to present one angle on the issue. Um, During the course of the presentations, uh, cards are available here in the back on the uh, table where Amuna is uh, sitting. If you have questions that you would like to raise toward the end, please uh, write them down in clear legible handwriting. Pass them up to the front uh, where Rabbi Sachs will have them. We have found that that is a more effective way of dealing with questions from the, uh, uh, from the crowd. Um, and then we will, after the four presentations, uh, we will have a chance to address uh, some of the questions uh, to the panelists and after that uh, uh, Dr. David Bernstein um, from, uh, uh, from Pardes uh, will summarize um, uh, with that um, Mrs. Uh, Molly Brost okay. is,
2: is the mic
3: okay? Lowered? Okay, firstly, I'd like to mention that from the responses that this panel generated and the feedback that at least I received, it seems to have hit a very strong chord in the educational community. Um, I think that's worth noting, or whatever it's worth. I believe that the articles that were the springboard for this evening addressed the issues clearly and cogently. What I would like to do is provide a framework for thinking about the issues and help us kind of sort them out and clarify for ourselves how to best address them. When thinking about problems, there's a theory that divides issues into what they call solvable problems and perpetual problems. Solvable problems are problems that can be resolved through conflict resolution, direct action, strategies. I think the issues involving economics um, fall more or less into this category. Um, and that all sorts of suggestions have been and can be proposed about how to deal with them. So those issues, I'm going to leave to those infinitely more qualified than I am, and I'm going to attempt to talk about the, the edutainment from a educator's pedagogical perspective. Okay. Perpetual problems are problems that arise out of inevitable life circumstances with which one has to learn how to cope and how to get that deal, given with the under, given the underlying real situation. I believe many of the issues that were raised under entertainment ed- fall into this category. In many ways, in the one-year programs, we are working with certain givens. These include the fact that our students are coming to us from and at a certain place, and that place has been rapidly transforming in recent years. The combination of the current cultural background and technology has resulted in a series of developments. These include raised expectations of instant gratification, both in the classroom as well as in their overall experience of the year. Uh, these girls exhibit a much greater degree of dependency on their parents, um, which is upkept up- kept through constant access and connection to their homes, and they experience a much less degree of immersion in the overall Israel experience as a whole. This translates into a host of ramifications that were pinpointed in the article. Those of you who don't remember can go and read, um, which describe many of today's students as having diminished ability to analyze text or to think critically and feeling a greater sense of entitlement and looking for instantaneous relief of unhappiness or discomfort, which increases pressure on teachers and on institutions. In addition, we also have them for a very short time. We have one year, limited by all kinds of breaks, in which we are expected to achieve nothing less than transforming their intellectual, spiritual, and religious identity. We don't have four years like in high school. We don't have a captive audience like in high school. We have to reach them quickly and effectively. Incidentally, it is possible that a certain type of teacher will be more or less successful within these parameters, which doesn't necessarily make them a better or worse educator. It just makes them more or less appropriate to work with this population. I'd like to note here that it's important to view our students as they are now, today, not ten years ago. They are different than they were. I think there is a natural tendency to condemn the immaturity, self-absorption, lack of seriousness, and materialism among the youth that goes back to Roman times, really, Google it. Before we begin to evaluate issues, I think it's important to be aware of self and determine honestly how much our reactions are related to the fact that we are no longer teaching ourselves or the students we thought would be teaching, and sort that out from our real responses to changes in the educational climate. There are a lot of lovely young people out there, and in addition, let's not forget to keep an eye out for the positives ensuing from these inevitable changes, which again, I'm going to leave to the more creative or perhaps techno-savvy among us. But only after we've done this sorting can we turn to clear and hard thinking about educational goals, And what are our inflexible principles and what, if anything, should be reformulated to meet our current students' needs? Okay. So then the question becomes, these are our students, how do we best educate them? Okay. In my opinion, an effective teacher is able to reach three aspects of the student. A good teacher reaches the intellect. And I still firmly believe that students won't appreciate a class unless they feel intellectually challenged and respected. Then there's the emotional component. Aside from those of you who will argue about how much you gained from that grumpy old 10th grade teacher who you hated every minute of sitting in their class, I think most people will still agree with the caveat, Ein lo med, students need to feel engaged, and they need to feel a degree of joining and positive connection to their teacher, and they have to have a positive ex- uh, feeling about the experience of sitting in the classroom. Thirdly, need to connect on a personal level. They need to feel that they are hearing a message that is personally relevant or transformative in their own lives. To the degree that a teacher can balance all these things, they will be more successful, and to the degree to which, in which, it, to which an element is lacking, they will be less successful. Obviously, each teacher will vary the, their percentages and approach based on personal, st- personal style and personality, and there needs to be a successful match with a specific population of student or specific individual students. But overall, at least I think in the Shona Al programs, for me, that's how I formulate my educational goals. Okay, therefore, it is our job as, as educators, both teachers and administrators, to formulate our educational goals to meet the needs of our students under this, rub- under this rubric. As a teacher in the classroom, how do I balance heart, mind, and soul while maintaining fundamental educational principles? How do I strengthen skills and textual ability, and how do I foster critical thinking in the current educational climate? How do I engage without crossing a line into compromised behavior? I believe a, help, a helpful caveat here is keeping in mind the best interest of the students. It's not about my ego or my class size or creating mini-me's. It's about integrity and chinuch in its true sense, which I believe means helping my students grow into their best selves. This leads to the role of the administrators who are charged with the task of creating an environment of immune, by which I mean educational integrity for their teachers to be able to succeed. A healthy educational environment creates a successful and appealing program based on core values and educational principles, is supportive of its teachers, recognizes the value of different styles and appeal, guides younger teachers, and encourages students to, students to stick with the system. Okay. I am aware that everything I have said is just the beginning of the conversation. Each point I have raised leaves room for excul- ex- explication, clarification, debate, and further streamlining. But to the degree to which we as educators engage with the issues and are willing to rethink and reevaluate, and to the degree to which we maintain our personal educational integrity, we will be able to maximize our ability to, continually, conti- to con- continue to su- successfully educate our students.
1: Goldsmith. Uh, So everybody,
4: Um, Dr. Finkelman uh, said that his uh, employer is here this evening and he's treated very well. He wanted to make sure that he said that. Um, My in-laws are here tonight and (laughs) I am treated very well. I had to make sure that I put that out there. Um, Of course, I'd like to begin with a quote to Ahsanya. Um, thank you in to Atid for taking the initiative to discuss and address these important issues. Um, thank you also to the other panelists. Uh, evenings such as these remind us all how many talented people there are in, in one-year programs, all of whom, Emir Tzah work together for the common purpose of educating the next generation of Yirei Shemaim and Torah Jews. Um, Lastly, thank you also to the authors of the articles that we're discussing tonight. They have contributed greatly to that common purpose to which we all subscribe. Um, Like uh, most of us, all of us, I read the two articles on the Atid uh, website that was posted on the Atid website with much interest. I most certainly agree that the one-year programs can always improve. I feel strongly that where I work for example, the year we say that we have no problems and we have nothing to improve upon is the year that we need to close. Mm-hmm. I feel strongly that we all need outsiders and objective observers to assist us in that process of institutional introspection. As the Mishnah Mish- uh, in Maseche Nagayim reminds us, Kol Adam Ro'eh Chutz Min No one person and no one yeshiva and no one seminary can do it alone. So these kinds of discussions, especially when they are conducted in the spirit of constructive critique in this, that is in spirit and substance, um, that is so I will not leave notes, and not stam le calquel, are indeed valuable and welcome. However, I must, with all due respect and sensitivity, express my disagreement with some of the components of the article. First, while I agree with some of what was written, I cannot accept the arguments in the articles completely as a whole. I'm not entirely sure that it is true to say, as the brochure for tonight's discussion put it, that there is a declining educational atmosphere in yeshivot and seminaries. I would hope that the smaller working groups that are to be proposed tonight will discuss whether there is a declining educational atmosphere before helping to propose solutions to the problems we decry. I certainly think that the educational landscape here has changed over the years, and I also think, as mentioned, and Mrs. Brodsky mentioned also, that there is always room for improvement. But I think reports of the death of the one-year program in Israel are greatly exaggerated. Along those lines, I do not agree with the expression edutainment that was used in one of the articles. Frankly, I think it is gratuitous, sensational, and pejorative in a way that is insulting to the thousands of men and women who learn in Israel now and the tens of thousands who have learned here in the past. To speak in such broad and general terms about dozens of men's and women's schools, each program different in its own way and each student in each program different in his or her own way is inaccurate to say the very least. Moreover... The term edutainment and many of the issues raised in the articles speak negatively about the teachers themselves and minimize their abilities and commitment to excellence. Are the economic conditions perfect in the Ishivotan seminaries? Absolutely not. They are far from perfect and everyone here knows that well. But to say that due to those less than ideal conditions, teachers necessarily teach poorly and contribute to a declining educational atmosphere is, in my opinion, patently false. The men's and women's programs that I'm familiar with seem to me to be filled with teachers who can and do teach in a challenging, professional and effective way. There are teachers who, unlike what was stated in one of the articles, do not necessarily need to spend less time in the baby Midrash, or avoid having these students work through things on their own, or refer to sources as was mentioned in the article and easy, digestible sound bites. And I think that the thrill of personal discovery gained through puzzling things out independently is alive and well in many of the fine institutions that we're speaking about tonight. Lastly, I think the term entertainment and some of the ideas ex- discussed in the articles speak disparagingly about the crucial and undeniable need for affective and emotional components of any curriculum, in any program, of any age, in any country. If at least one of our goals is to inspire lifelong learners and observers of Torah, then those extracurricular activities play a crucial role in accomplishing that goal. Of course, this all has to be balanced. But I do not think that as a rule, a school has to sacrifice everything in order to have those extracurricular activities. It wasn't these programs in Israel who invented the need for milta de b'dichuta, and it wasn't these programs who discovered the effectiveness and necessity for chanoch l'anar al-pidarko. I hope these words do not sound like I'm being defensive, self-protective, or naive. I am sure that some people may take my comments here tonight as such, but I still felt the need to tell the truth as I see it, despite the risks involved in saying it and being misunderstood. All I can say is that if I felt that the system were perfect, I wouldn't be here tonight. As I mentioned, there is still much work to be done, but I should say, in addition to the general desire for these programs to improve, and in addition to the improvements that need to be made due to the healthy and beneficial competition among the schools, other work is already being done that needs to be mentioned. It's important to note publicly the work that Yeshiva University is doing and has been doing for years. As a real partner to many of the schools, they have been working hard on two fronts that I know of. Number one, their umbrella uh, organizations, YPAC and Mipac, are wonderful forums for sharing ideas among and between institutions. They strike a great balance between that healthy competition and an even healthier sense of teamwork. Many of the initiatives and improvements over the years that these programs have benefited from have come as a direct result of these groups. Just one of the many examples, and I can only really speak about the women's side. The admissions process for 12th grade girls is infinitely easier and less intrusive to their learning due to the joint application, the agreed upon application deadlines, and the joint Israel Nights in the New York area. All of these have helped the students tremendously and are a direct result of these meetings and discussions secondly Yeshiva University has recently I don't work for yeshiva University secondly yeshiva but it's important I think it's important to note that things are being done this is not uh, the first time that yeshivas have been introspective and in seminaries yeshiva University has recently established an assessment tool to help schools improve and progress under the guidance of Rabbi dr. Hill Davis and dr. Scott Goldberg and others the and seminaries are engaging in a thorough meticulous and admittedly painstaking self-study process that process time-consuming as it is, is, in my opinion, a very welcome addition and addresses many of the legitimate issues raised in the articles. Having said all that, there is, of course, still more work to be done. I don't have a lot of time left, but I did want to agree with and propose a solution for one of the major issues discussed in the articles, namely the PR piece, the recruiting, admissions, etc., It goes without saying that all of this is necessary to some degree, again, in any educational institution of any age, uh, anywhere in the world. But everything is a balance and all of us can work harder on that balance. For example, and this is just one example, perhaps if we were all able to agree upon fewer trips to Chutz to meet with prospective students, everyone would benefit. Our current students would benefit by having us around more to teach, offer guidance, etc. And the 12th graders in Chutz to whom and for whom presumably we are traveling, would benefit by being able to be in class more and not at all of our presentations, interviews, etc. I spent a few years as the Israel Guidance Person in one of the high schools in America, and I know firsthand how disruptive these Israel schools' visits can be. I'll say again that I think in many ways things have improved with YU's support and other in consolidating consolidating Israelites in the New York area, but there's always more to improve upon. And I am not pointing a finger at anyone. I am as guilty as the next in this area. Of course, it's not easy. The author herself himself points out inadvertently the difficulties in making changes in the recruiting environment in these schools. She or he calls for more truth in advertising with schools putting their cards on the table. Yet she or he wrote that anonymously. As mentioned in the article, of course, there should be truth in advertising. There should also not be, as the author says, infighting, bickering, Lashon Hara, of course. First of all, I'm saying it like I see it. I have not seen much of that at all. Does it go on? I bet that it does. But I must say, I honestly do not think it goes on as much as people say. Call me naive, but I can only tell you what I know and what I've seen, and I have not seen that much. Secondly, it's very hard, indeed impossible, to regulate Menschlichkeit. If there is Lashon Hare that goes on, I think that the high schools and the students themselves are astute enough to, than to send their son or daughter to a school where the representative can speak so disparagingly about another program. There is much more to say, but of course... All of us hope that tonight's discussion is only the beginning of more discussions that will undoubtedly be along the way with open, honest dialogue that will only benefit the wonderful young men and young women who come to Israel to learn and to grow. Thank you.
2: Uh, first, I would like to thank uh, Atif for the opportunity of uh, speaking tonight and for their uh, hosting this important forum. I also want to uh, thank Yamin for coming in and sharing his uh, his remarks. And I, I will say that uh, I know of virtually no one in Chinuch who is more Yashar and Shem Shemayim than Yamin, and I hope that doesn't come off in my time. So, how do you do? Are those your in-laws? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I, uh, I want to put uh, my remarks in a context, uh, and that is that I think that when we talk about the one-year program, the Year in Israel program, it's not something that we should see as a collective of individual schools that someone's here from Shalavim or Midrash and Amid or here and there, but rather we now, the Makhanchim of 2010, Tavshin Ayin, are all part of a continuum, an institution called the One-Year Program. And I think that it was has been very successful. If you just look around the room, you'll see the products of the One-Year Program. And so this is something that I don't take, uh, I don't take uh, lightly to come in air grievances or uh, emotionally, uh, uh, cathartically uh, discharge what, what's bothering me. Uh, Quite the contrary, this is an important institution, and we, the machanchim of today, have been charged (laughs) to bring it to the next generation. And, as such, all institutions, all institutions have golden ages and then ages of introspection. We have to take the opportunity to see, just to see, to introspect, and see how we can improve and what we can do to make sure that this important institution passes to the capable hands of our Meet him. And so the introspection that I'll offer tonight is in absolutely no way an indictment of an institution, in particular an administ- administrator, Rahman Alitzlan. I think that things happen and people, institutions, countries for that matter, develop uh, a rhythm and sort of get into a, a place where things are comfortable, and it's important for the people of those institutions at the various times to look in a mirror just to see if everything is okay and what can be improved. In the opening remarks, Yoel mentioned that there is a, or maybe it was Jeff it was there is a, uh, a, con- a continuum, a natural, um, a natural uh, co- cohesion between the two topics, and, and to a certain degree that that's true, but I would like to say that my topic tonight really starts after Mali, after what you said, which, uh, which I think was, uh, was uh, very correct, it starts there, meaning every institution thinks about its strategy, thinks about its educational goals, thinks about what it wants to accomplish, who its projected to meet them are, that is nothing, and I think I wrote this in the article, it's been a while since I read it, um, that is something that is of every, institution, every institution's concern, and not my concern, especially as, as an employee. An employee doesn't get the right to call the shots of what the educational vision of the school is, but once that educational vision has been put down in the mission statement as a matter of record, then the institution has to begin to deal with the faculty, whoever the faculty may be. And that's where my story begins. And the truth is, I'll I'll try not to get emotional. I will not get emotional. Uh, it's, not, it's not even my story, the truth is, but um, it started to me as a very emotional one and as time passed, I think I've uh, calmed down just a bit and been able to put it into perspective and that's what I'd, like to, uh, what I'd like to share with you. Very briefly, my story is as follows. I teach in a school and on the first day of school, I was called upon to present my class to the student body. And I present my class, and um, out of a student body of X, uh, X minus one signed up for the other class. Get that? It wasn't a math class. So I have one student in my class, and the administrator calls me often and says, We have a little bit of a problem. What should we do? We're discussing. A I, uh, I kitter. I ended up with a very nice machubar class on another topic. The Seder. So I happen to be mentioning this story to a colleague of mine, and I said that uh, this happened, and then we switched classes, and I have another class, and uh, now it's a very nice class, a different topic. And the person said to me, well, the same thing happened to me, but in my school, they told me that no one signed up for your class, so your class is being dropped, and you are out of a, uh, a parnassa. And that bothered me to no end, deeply. Uh, hurt me. And so, I started to poke around a little bit, that's all, just one, and believe me, I speak for no one but myself, there's not a scientific study. So I had to poke around a little bit, and I found that there are similar stories in other places. So I called my friend, uh, Yoel, and I said, we have to unionize. That's to form a union. So he said to me, uh, calm down Carl, before you, before you do that, Maybe there, maybe a, a more civil discussion can take place and issues can be worked out, calm down. And I always value what you all have to say, so I did and I wrote. And I'd just like to um, just raise three issues and again, three issues that are present, I think, uh, somewhat ubiquitous in, uh, in faculty uh, uh, relations that exist. and I uh, just like to put them out there and that's all. Uh, I think that um, the, uh, the idea of paying a, uh, a mechanic per class is something that should be reevaluated. Meaning, uh, I taught in, uh, in America for 10 years in one school full-time, in one school very part-time, as part-time as it could possibly be. But I did receive a paycheck 12 months a year, and there were no surprises. And, of course, this is not an issue of money, this is not a call for... Sal- Everyone who's in Phoenix knows that the salaries are low, that's a given, that's not a problem. Uh, if it was a problem, it would be in another profession. But I think that the idea of being paid per session uh, has two issues. Number one, it, it creates a degree of distance, is my, my feeling, between the, the faculty and the... Uh, between the person, the teacher, and the school. As though to say, everything that you do is measured, if there's a, have to take your child to the doctor one day, that's your issue. If there's a, if, there's a, if the maxoma is crowded, that's your issue. And that develops a certain degree of distance, which will only come back when the faculty member is asked to do extracurricular things, like host a student. There's no way to hide these things, I believe. Uh, so if a, if a faculty member feels put upon, that's going to come out somewhere later in a not healthy way. And I also think there's a certain degree of peace of mind involved when, um, when a person knows exactly how much he's going to get paid, whether it's 10,000 shekel a month bruto or whether it's 2 shekel a month bruto. to know that that's in the bank is something that, <coughs> a peace of mind, that would help a, a mechanic tremendously. The second issue, and I only have three, is the idea that, uh, as I mentioned before, no enrollment, no class, is something that has to be revisited. Uh, revisited because it sets a dynamic, and not to be sensationalist about it, it sort of sets a dynamic of a Torah mall, as though the school is affording the opportunity to the teacher to have this time and space to give a class. And if you can have people come, people join, people come to your store, then you have a job. But if you don't, it's like retail—you don't. There's nothing we could do. The mall owner is not going to uh, is not going to give you anything for trying. And I think that that's something which needs obviously to be. Uh, I'm not saying anything definitively, just to be revisited in terms of, is that a healthy dynamic in a faculty um, uh, school, in the faculty-school dynamic? Is that healthy? Or does that put a lot of pressure on the, st- on the, on the faculty member to, uh, to get kids? Or does that, uh, simply put, have someone who thought he had a job uh, part time Come his time, and he doesn't have a job. And that's something important, and it's painful, but something we have to discuss. And, and the last thing, just to put on the table, is the issue of, of job security. I think that there is no job security to speak of, in that you are never really sure what you're going to get next year, even if you've done a good job this year. And that's something that I think needs to be revisited, and that is, I think, the most difficult question, because, well, I'm not here saying that it should be tenure and everybody should, because we know there are problems on every end, but I'm just saying the lack of stability, the fact that you don't know as your kids getting older, as you are getting older and becoming less interesting to the Talmidim of the present, what are we going to do with you and your pension and your life in the future when your kids get older? And of course, that could also be seen on the micro and the macro level. And on the micro level, no, no mechanic will be left behind. And uh, everyone will be taken care of. But I do wonder about the future. About who's going to want to go in to a business which is not a business, but presents itself as though we have to sometimes be a fiddler on the roof. Where there's not so much security, and you don't even know from month to month What you can count on, that's something that I think will be left to two types of people. People who have jobs in another sector, a lawyer who wants to to give a shear, a doctor wants to give a shear, and that's wonderful, or somebody independently wealthy, which is certainly wonderful, but the professional mechanics. The person who has invested a lifelong goal of being Mechanic the next generation, I'm just afraid, I'm just afraid that that will be something that's not tenable. That's not something that you can think of as an option when you are thinking about what to do. And so I agree with what Yamin said. Um, certainly this is the beginning. This is uh, a raising of the issues. Rachmano Litzlan Chas This should not be taken as anything more than a situation that developed, and not anybody is to blame. And there shall be no, there can be no pointing of the fingers. It's really just a holding up of the mirror. If this is, if this is something worth developing, worth talking about, then Halavai, uh, halavai we should, uh, we should continue, and just to be mechazik. The, the, the program, the institution is so important and it really needs a strong class of people who feel comfortable that they can make a living with this. And this is something that they can devote their life to. And I think beyond the particular issues of this shekel and that shekel and this month and this Rebbe, on the macro level, it's something that we really, really have to, uh, have to address. <laughs>
5: time. Uh First of all, again, I would like to echo people's comments uh, and thanks to Atir for setting up this evening uh, I have always uh, enjoyed fellow, with fellow educators and uh, I think the process of discussing education uh, enriches us all so I want to say thank you very much to everybody involved uh, everybody has begun with, I think the speakers, speaker it's difficult to give opening remarks, but uh, we're all going to give our own assumptions to a certain degree. Um, I'd like to start off by saying um, that I believe that in general, uh, the one-year programs in Israel, certainly those in the border, modern orthodox brackets, are run responsibly, are run by well-meaning, principled administration. I think they're doing, a, in, in many cases, a sterling job of really transforming um, generations of young people um, and giving them an attachment to Torah which has changed the wider community when we look at communities around the world and the number of Chavruta programs and the amount of learning that is going on even religious standards within communities you see the huge effects of the Yeshivot and Midrashot uh, throughout communities around the world and in Israel. I'd also like to say that uh, even though the articles have generated a tremendous amount of discussion, um, I sort of got into this uh, position of sitting on this panel because I complained about the articles. Um, I think this article suffered from a terrible uh, overgeneralization. I was bothered by the anonymity. I thought they lacked real hard facts and they were rather sensational. Um, and I think we'd do well to follow the statement of Chazal, Chachamim Hizaru B'divreichem, to be cautious of our words, especially, Shiva Taim when they go to print. And uh, I was concerned very much on the slur uh, which might be placed on many of the good institutions and the good work they've done. Um, I've been asked primarily to address pedagogic issues, and I'm going to try and say some things out of the box. But before that, please permit me uh, one minute to talk about the uh, economics. Uh, I feel that I have, when I when I read this, I remember my first comment to Yoel was, uh, maybe I'm an exception, but I do feel that my employers have been very responsible. My employers have always paid me on a pay scale of mizraachinuch, pension, etc., etc. Um, I've been assured by many other people who have received cash in envelopes, um, and uh, no payment over the summer, um, and many other uh, other, uh, you know, no six days or whatever it might be that that is not the case. Um, I think it's uh, uh, that we're not allowed to break any laws of Medina Israel. we've got to pay taxes, by law now, pensions, vacations and the like. Um, likewise, the Torah institutions, not to keep a certain halachot uh, to keep people waiting for pay. Uh, I don't really understand how we are educational institutions if we don't uphold certain uh, very simple standards which are and therefore uh, I find it uh, quite bizarre that these aren't uh, kept in upstanding Torah institutions. Likewise, even certain things which might be the disturbing practice of certain places to fire somebody at the end of the year and to rehire them at the beginning of the year so they don't get tenure, etc. etc. Um, smacks to me a little bit uh, smells a little bit too much of Naval Torah. Torah. And uh, I think uh, employers have to show responsibility to their employees. Um, And I certainly would like to suggest, at the very least, uh, even maybe before the working committees begin, and you know how it works in the Knesset, if you've got a problem, you set up a committee, and who knows whether the problem will be solved. At the very least, I think that Atid, or maybe the Joint Israel Programme, should make it very clear and set up a list of workers' rights according to Israeli law that will be posted very clearly on their website, um, and that everybody can look it up. I would also like to suggest that maybe uh, some form of unionisation takes place. At the very least, uh, not in order to batter employees, employers into doing things um, and try and muscle in on them. Um, I, after all, was born into Thatcherite Britain. Um, but um, at least, uh, in order sometimes to have to be able to turn to a lawyer and get legal advice and know what your rights are. And uh, if there was some sort of recourse to action, Misrad HaChinuch is a large system, and you sometimes do have uh, those facilities. If we could have some way, even if it demanded a a modest contribution, whereby we could take advice from some sort of employment lawyer, when we had questions about whether our rights are being respected, I think that would be exceptionally useful. Um, But I would like to move on to the question of, uh, or the topic of, edutainment. Um, And edutainment already has its own lilt and its own uh, interpretation. Um, In the article uh, in question, um, we were talking about Entertainment, as opposed to education. And if I can quote, the year in Israel has been transformed from a year of intensive Torah education to a gap year of entertainment, diminished responsibilities, and personal release from some of the academic pressures of high school. Can we really generalize? Um, I think we all know that there are many, many institutions who still uphold a strong commitment to intellectual learning, to intellectual rigor. I've uh, conducted many, many interviews over the last three weeks. Um, There is sometimes a feeling that uh, people are getting thinner. Um, that people are giving corrupt, that the uh, Talmidim or Talmidot are able to stay in the Bet Midrash for shorter periods of time. And indeed, there seems to have been some sort of global ADD going on. Um, I think some of us feel it very much, where, you know, Google is only a click away, and uh, sometimes I feel that I have that same ADD, that in the middle of reading something, suddenly you're distracted by this and that. And uh, Google is king, and uh, our concentration spans have lower. Maybe it's not just our students, maybe it is ourselves. Already in 2001, there was a Boston Globe article talking about how Harvard was dumbing down, and uh, this is something that people have been speaking about for a long time. Uh, we are not immune from that, that is for sure. However, we should remember that there is far more learning going on than even a generation ago. A generation ago... Um, whether it was Michlada or Michlet or or Machan Gold, they didn't have Seder Erev. Now most Midrashot have three Sederim a day. In other words, there is more text learning. Um, I guess one of our questions is the question of quality. I'd also like to say that um, obviously, the huge growth in numbers, uh, in the number of people who are coming to Israel, means there is a wide range of institutions, There's a huge range of institutions ranging from those which uh, admit students on a far higher intellectual standard to those who take students who aren't so stimulated intellectually. And of course that makes a big difference to uh, throw the activation of uh, edutainment to everybody, I think it's a little cool. But I would like to try and talk about um, edutainment uh, in a different sense. Maybe I'll start off by reading um, a bit of a diary of one of my students. Um, this is a student of mine and I assume that what he wrote is pretty public since it was published on a blog in the Jerusalem Post the blog was called Yeshiva Boy Uh, so Yeshiva Boy wrote this sometime in February last year before I get kicked out of Yeshiva let me explain I agree wholeheartedly that time is all we have and that wasting it is a tragedy but I don't think that my distractions this year are necessarily a waste of time and he writes in brackets, I don't think my rabbis would either. I've been training in Krav Maga multiple times a week. I've been writing a book. I've been meeting and schmoozing with amazing people, from late night talks to my friends in Yeshiva, to meeting Bibi Netanyahu the other night, to talking to random Israelis on the bus. And I've been seeing this beautiful country. And of course, I'm writing this blog, a pint-sized journal of my gap year abroad. Now some people might call those activities distractions. After all, I'm in yeshiva for crying out loud. Learn, learn, learn. What I've come to realize is that what some people call distractions from learning really constitute learning in the truest sense of the word. Because it is only against the backdrop of traveling the land of Israel that I can fully appreciate the laws regarding the land of Israel. And it is only against the backdrop of interacting with all sorts of people that I can appreciate the laws regarding being a decent human treating all people with respect and the like. And it is only against the backdrop of being engaged in activities that one might not consider religious that I can appreciate imbuing even the mundane, the banal, with a sense of purpose and meaning. Is this edutainment or is this true education? Um, there is a lady called Linda Kelly. and She is the head of the Australian Museum Audience Research Center. Whatever that may be. Um, and she wrote a fascinating paper. I think it was her PhD thesis. Where she com- she uh, compared three words. Entertainment. Education. And a third word. Learning. And uh, it was fascinating. She asked people what their impressions were of these words. When you say education, what do you think? When you say entertainment, what do you think? When you say learning, what do you think? And people came out with very interesting responses. Education, structured. Entertainment, free-flowing, relaxing. Learning can be structured or unstructured. Okay. Here's an interesting one. Education, teaching. Entertainment, chosen. Learning, chosen. Education, somebody is telling you. Entertainment, you're doing it. Learning, you're doing it. How do we make sure that our students are doing it? I think we have all have a feeling. I mean, what are we really um, teaching for? For some of us, we do want to, to know another effect and it is important that uh, our students are well-versed. I know certainly for me, I gained the greatest sense of Sipuk um, in simply knowing uh, more about whether it was Tanakh, whether it was about Gemara, but I assume that the people who are happy sitting in the basement address all day are not susceptible to the problems of edutainment. And therefore, um, oh, by the way, ironically, if you Google edutainment and try and look it up, edutainment is a very positive thing. Edutainment is using other media in order to educate. <laughs> um, what I would like to say is that I think if we say we have a problem and that our students are not on the level to sit in a basement all day, we do have to think about the other experiences that we are giving them and to make them richer. How can we make sure that the Chanaochel is more of an experience where they can grow in their Judaism? How can we make sure that the Chervati experience within the Midrashah or the Yeshiva stresses the values of Bein Adam the Chaveirol? How can we make sure that when they go on Teuleim it is not just a break from learning but it is learning itself? How can we make sure that the time spent in the evenings um, enriches uh, the environment. I know that many Israeli schools, high schools, whatever it might be, especially the girls' schools, invest a huge amount in terms of gibush, in terms of drawing the girls together. Um, I think this is an ideal opportunity for Ben Adam and Havera. I think it's an ideal opportunity because, after all, at a certain point, our students are going to leave yeshiva and we're going to ask ourselves, what do they have? What do they leave with? And on this point, I'd like to uh, move to, to my last point. Um, some years back our friend Joel Sincleman wrote an article uh, in this volume um, by Atid, um called Virtual Velozhin Socialization Versus Learning in Israel Yeshiva Program and His contention was that in Yeshiva and Midrashah programs there was things going on way beyond the Bet Midrash uh, way beyond the learning Essentially uh, what he claimed was there was a certain um, socialization process going on where people maybe even more influential than the tosas they were learning or the ramban they were learning, uh, what was happening was they were undergoing a sort of personal transformation, but not on the basis of the limud that they were doing, rather from a sociological point of view. There was an identification, increasing identification in the course of the year with the vocabulary, the cultural lifestyle of the yeshiva, with the image, if you want, with the brand of the yeshiva. And students must try to Market the brand, get into the brand, and that's how people will change. You see, many of us talk about the primary thing in the year in Israel as being this great word, transformation. And for many places, they would much prefer to transform a person than to teach a person. Is that good? Or is that bad? If we transform a person on the basis of imitation, of branding, of socialization, okay... What happens when they move to their next institution? To university for four years? Do they take on that identity? Or is their true identity the yeshiva identity? How does it work? Um, I recall so clearly when I was a young holo guy the sense that I really wanted all the students in Shana Arif and Shana Bet to really have what I had. The commitment to Torah and Mitzvot, the inspiration, the connection to the Olam the persona of the Ben Torah, um the dress of the yeshiva I wanted to give them that I wanted quite intensely to to change them and you know when I think back on it I think I wanted them to be me and I say that because I think sometimes there's a big danger in this process of socialization that takes place in yeshiva because I remember one particular student he was a chanech of mine previously in Bnei Akiva a leading chanech a leader of his shevet and he came to yeshiva and I had a chabus with him and I was intent on giving him what I had except a funny thing happened he was very resistant he didn't get into the learning, he wasn't interested it didn't bother him, he was always a happy-go-lucky jokey guy, don't worry he's from, he's a good balabas he made aliyah, lives in Ranana he's got a great job, his family's from but he wouldn't be a yeshiva bacha he didn't want to do it, he was always joking around and you know what, at a certain point I found myself even getting angry even getting angry, why am I wasting my time with him why is he being so resistant when you base yourself, the transformation on the socialization process of the yeshiva or the midrasha, sometimes it works. Sometimes it's the easiest way, but sometimes it can be very dangerous. Because after all, what do the students leave after? What are the students left with after they leave? Um, there is so much to do on the uh, one-year programs. People expect too much. They expect to teach the students to learn to love Israel, to become mentors, to learn to live by themselves, to, to grow up, and what have you. Um, I have tried to stress the idea, uh, not of entertainment, uh, but rather of learning, and the idea that there are many other experiences which can complement complement the learning experience. But let me try and return to square one. After all, um, I guess the Misnadish roots are, are run strong. The strongest experience learning experience we can maybe give people is real learning. There is nothing like giving students a project and have them really delve into that pasha and discover things themselves. After all, that learning is the discovery. When students really taste the taste of learning, delving into something, and whether it's khumash, whether it's k'mara, that maybe is the most powerful transformation. Thank you.
1: Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you to the to the panelists, each of whom managed to tackle this issue from a uh, from a different angle. Um, and, uh, and I think uh, there is a lot of food for thought. And I've got a lot of things jumbling around in my head. Uh, the one thing that I do want to mention uh, is that Rev Alex's point regarding producing a uh, a document that describes. Proper practices, best practices um, um, uh, is something that is on our agenda. And again, I encourage people who are interested in being involved in that to please sign up with uh, EMUNA for the working group. Um, again, I want to encourage people if you have questions to write them down clearly um, uh, and pass them up uh, to Rabbi Sachs the first question uh, regarding the Yeshiva Boy blog Um, has the student made a connection to Limu Torah and Shemirat HaMitzvot has he taken steps to support and encourage a lifelong connection to observance of Judaism has he done it here in Israel and will he continue to do so when he leaves uh, Israel uh, Sounds like you wanted to emphasize the positive aspects, and the questioner wants to know whether that's built on top of the Limutara or whether that's in place of it.
5: Okay, I mean, since you can probably find that identity relatively right, easily just by like in the blows, I should be careful what I uh, reveal. Um, I think, can people hear? people yeah, yeah. Okay, I should be careful what I reveal. I will simply say this a guy who was educated in a... Uh, he is uh, religious he uh, was educated in a modern orthodox school Um, he is currently not at YU, he is in an Ivy League college Um, and facing significant challenges because of the environment that he has gone to. He certainly was in Yeshiva, not somebody who was considered to be messing around. He came to share, he took part. He was just emphasizing the idea of certain supplementary things um, that he experienced in his year. I have to say as an educator, and as the years go by I feel this sometimes more, I always wonder, what do my students have outside the classroom? I meet them over uh, I meet them over a Chumash, I meet them over a uh, daf okay, who's musically talented? Who's a leader? Who's a follower? Sometimes you think you see it in the class, but do you really know? And Because a lot of my formative educational experience were in youth groups, where you saw a much what you knew who could dance and sing. You knew who was the joker, you knew who was this. Um, Sometimes I feel that in the classroom, I'm only educating a sliver, a sliver of the person. What about the whole person? They spend more time out of our classes during their years than they spend in our classes. What happens to all that time? Or I'll say even slightly differently. If we educate them to be Yeshiva Bakrin, if we educate them to be Shah girls, again, Five years down the line, some of them will be, but most of them probably will not still see themselves in that persona. And therefore, we have to think carefully, what are we giving, what are the tools that we're giving that are going to remain? Now of course again, we can all think about our own biography, and we can all think ourselves, and what do we remember of it, and talk to friends. But it's something that constantly, as an educator, I don't have answers, it's something that constantly gives me food for thoughts. Right, it's true. We're all the people who fell in love with learning, decided to learn a lot more, and uh, that became our life, and what about everybody else? What part does Israel programs, what part does this year or two play in their long-term life? Okay, I want to read one comment that's not a question, um, and
1: uh, needs to be said, uh, to a degree, uh, uh, Tova Ryan says the ad in the Torah tidbits that invited the general public used the word uh, provocative sensationalism rather than thought-provoking serious discussion, but more importantly it was a public condemnation, not as a question, but as a statement declining educational standards, etc. Um, for all of us who view ourselves as uh, being involved in uh, Arundah HaKodesh, it, uh, uh, it was disconcerting uh, particularly uh, regarding the fact that three of the four panelists don't seem to find a lack of professionalism or a declining, changing, yes, but not necessarily declining atmosphere. So I think that uh, that needs to be said. Um, uh, use Daniel, the mic. Hmm? use the mic. Use the microphone. Use okay. Um, Daniel Wolf has asked whether any of the panelists can describe. Uh, in what way institution has been involved with contributing to their professional developments uh, as educators. Um, and if I can even add a step further, um, is there an institutionalized culture of professional development within the one-year programs? Well, I can just say that... Uh, use the mic, can you hear me? I'd rather
3: not use the mic. They yeah. Okay, I'm okay. not using the mic. Um I have been involved in numerous institutions, the institution at which I okay. The institution at which I spend most of my time I find to be has been consistently helpful in terms of my own personal professional development as well as extremely supportive in my experience of young teachers who are coming into the system. I have not had Experience and not seeing that type of thing where, like, okay, you only have one student. I, they will run classes for two students, three students, and then work as far as I know, work with teachers to help them maximize their ability to teach. Um, I think that, again, personally i found very open administration, um, a lot of dialogue about how to, again, maximize the educational experience. Open doors, meetings.
1: I, um, I think that's all I'm going
5: to say. One uh, area which I think is, is very very fruitful um, is even teaching meetings, uh, which is a constant in and discussion. Um, I'm being careful not to name institutions because mitochen uh, um, but at least uh, two of the institutions that I have uh, been involved with and am um, involved with um, have regular professional enrichment um, for uh, for their staff, um, and I think it should be uh, spread wider. Uh, when you hear different ideas on whatever they whatever they are, uh, that's quite incredible. But I think it is rare. And I'm going
1: to read a couple of questions and then uh, open it to anybody who wants to. First, uh, one of the primary elements of curriculum structure is electives. Where's the place for us to be able to lead students, guide students to the important skills and the important knowledge? Question number one. Um, how can we talk about goals without quantifiable standards and measures? Between schools and often within that measures of success vary greatly. In my experience, this leads to confusion among students, parents, alumni, and teachers uh, regarding the question of are we being successful if that is not being uh, measured. 3rd um, take uh, three questions at a time so you can pick and choose. Uh, how can the one, one-year programs break out of Anglo land in Israel and give our students contact with positive Israeli students of the same age and compatible outlook? Uh, you can even, I uh, think, expand that question even further and say, Israel beyond uh, 18 to 19 year olds uh, as well. Anybody want to tackle one or all?
2: First of all, I I think we should have an angle where I'm very comfortable, much more comfortable. That's something that I think that every institution really needs to think about where it fits in. There aren't going to be there's a cross spectrum of students, obviously not everybody can have the same program,
4: Like human nature, entropy does occur, and sometimes we uh, find ourselves a year or two or three or four going without re-evaluating these uh, these, um, measurable uh, quantitative measures. However, I'm pretty sure that schools do get a chance, and do, because of either their own uh, guided uh, value as educators, and two, because of the competition that's so healthy, I think we do actually do that. The fact that it may not necessarily come out in the brochure, the website, or the presentations is a, is a different discussion. I think it does occur. Uh, I'd just like to say that
5: uh, as regards Israel experience, um, one of my other hats that I wear is uh, running seminars for Nefesh for Nefesh throughout all the different issues and nidrashok. It's actually interesting because I get a chance to see a cross-section. I run a similar program from the Soviet institution. Um, but I can certainly say that I think that the engagement with both Israelis, with Israeli society in general um, from many of these uh, students and from hearing them talk the people the Israelis that have met are taxi drivers and bus drivers Um, and that's it. Um, The others are all English speakers I think it's a tremendous cover. I'd say even more than that I think for many of the students, their knowledge of current issues in Israel, and their engagement with some of the tensions that are taking place here, um, is so microscopic, and it's so simplistic, um, and I think there are many, many opportunities. Um, and by the way, this is unlikely to come from the majority of the students, but I think it's exactly one of the areas in which programs should be trying to wet the appetite and to arouse the curiosity of the students uh, to expand their horizons.
1: I want to ask uh, the board member, uh,
6: Dr. Beverly Griffiths, if he yeah, has a question. Yeah, Beverly can write down something in this hour of the evening, so I'm um, to First of all, I just want to give a common attraction for Dr. Bernstein. I don't know if you'll speak about this this evening or you'll speak about this in a smaller group. But on the issues of uh, the economics and the professionalism, don't start from F.S. I was privileged to serve on um, the Board of Pardes, where if, over many years and many meetings, we worked out a system for basically what is a one-year program to deal with all of these issues of the teachers, including what happens if there's only one student and when do you know, how could they be not skewed and get skewed. And. There is a model for this, so uh, you don't have to, um, you know, you can take it from there. Uh-huh, okay, and now I want to say what um, Alec began uh, to say. And I don't usually take with my own students the attitude of you people. Okay, but you people sound, uh, I don't even understand what Shalat Eretz Israel is. I'm the generation that didn't go to Israel, right, it was not. When I graduated from day school, you were supposed to go straight to college, and you did not go to Israel. It five years in But it sounds like we're talking here about some finishing school programs that are supposed to, at best, fill in your knowledge and skills, and perhaps on a high level of who they call it, or feel in your observance and your phone calls. But where is Israel in all of this? So Alice began to say it now, and the blogger said it. But if there is a need to upgrade or to change the programs now because there is a new generation of uh, children or young people coming, I would say use Israel as the text. There is a tremendous amount that can be done here in Israel in a very engaging way, even if it has to be in English, and I will not speak, there are many people here in this room who've heard me on the subject of Hebrew, and where it is in the day of school, and that this evening has to be run in English. Um, But beholdo, okay, it could be in English to engage not only with young people the same age as the kids you have, some of whom are facing tremendous dilemmas about the army and and their boys and girls. There are huge issues going on that Israeli kids want to talk about. There are forums that you could be arranging um, and it would be very easy to get Israelis involved in them. There are show and Nafimot and Yeshivot for the same age in uh, Israel that are doing all kinds of things. Said, yes, there are certain cultural barriers that have to be jumped over, um, but that can be done. And uh, all of the issues of, of what it means to have our own state starting from the text. I mean, I don't have to uh, elaborate, but I didn't uh, hear it. I haven't heard it yet. And it seems to me that if the programs are suffering, that this would be a uh, direction in which to go. And I will say that I first thought that these were two separate issues, but I now see that um, really they are this one issue of still bringing an American culture into this one-year program business. I think, and I'm going to try to be careful what I'm saying. There is a glut of people who want to teach in these institutions (coughs) because a lot of people who were teachers in elementary schools and high schools, Jewish schools in the United States, want to make aliyah and want to come to Jerusalem. And because of the language and the cultural gap, You people can't get into the Israeli system, so therefore you all need or want to be teaching in these post-time school programs. I would say that people somewhere that's, you know, maybe too late for uh, the older people, but if people want to make Aliyah, they have to start thinking when they're younger, about preparing themselves for working in the Israeli system. We won't go into all the difficulties of that. But going to the Galil, going to lot, going to other places and doing other things in Israel, and then maybe there won't be a lot of teachers in the one one-year program, or
2: maybe more and more people will come to one of your programs and we'll meet we everybody. a question. That's what I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just wanted to respond to Dr. Group in that that was the point I forgot to make. And I agree with you. And, um, and someone so I heard reactions to my article uh, anonymously up until recently. That was one area of misunderstanding that I think came up. These shivos should not be uh, like the uh, Social Security Service was 60 years ago. That's what people, that's their Jews want to get a job. They should not be. There should be, uh, I mean, I guess this will, uh, this will end the union idea. There should be fewer positions. They should be the class of, um, of educator should be in hand. And I think the glut, right now, and again, it's is my contention that they're sort of, we're sort of like on autopilot in this, I think the glut feeds into the machine as it is right now, and that's what I think that we should be taking the talk of. But I will say this, I think that people will figure out what to do if they have to. one when it ceases to be an option, people will, people are already getting wise to it. If I, can't, I can't come and expect that they'll be working in the seminaries. Um, the, the problem, I hope, is that not everybody does it. Uh, that, that can be maintained because it is important to have an educated, an educated class for this population. But for everybody else who wants to make aliyah, I think that I disagree with that last one. People will figure out what to do. They will if they want to make aliyah. Um, we, you know, we can some into workable Hebrew. and mm-hmm. I guess we'll we, we will figure out. I think people will. Just now, it's sort of stuck in this, in this system that people are overpopulating, but. You know, it's not much of a fault. That's just the, that's the the right now, uh, the reality, and um, and that's what we have to start to uh, to work out. Nothing.
4: I also uh, should call out Dr. Gurbuz for, for sharing that. My my initial response after you spoke um, was to uh, well, I did clap, but my initial response was to agree wholeheartedly, uh, and I'll say. Um, that my Zionist credentials are well documented. Um, and I personally, at a school that I work in, and I think many of my colleagues in other institutions would fully agree with you. However, I believe that that is step two. We, we're talking here about a we're beginning of the evening where hopefully smaller working groups are going to be formed. We're not just uh, pontificating like the sound like to try to do things. And I think while I may agree that that is a goal, I don't know if it's the goal of every institution. And rather than say that should be the goal, I think the the discussion should be what are the goals. If an institutional goal is integrated into the society, know what's going on at a sophisticated level in the Knesset and elsewhere, if that is a goal, then I would agree with you and i and i do personally as talking was going also I, I, I certainly think that where i work and uh, you know we have certainly more in the youth however that's what i personally think i'm not sure it's true for every institution but i think before we say it should be a goal for everyone i think everyone should think about what their goals are and if it's a goal work towards that goal Yeah, I'm going to do something not fair because uh, I see that the clock is ticking. Um, and there are a bunch of good questions that I'd love to raise
1: um, and love to hear discussion of, but I think uh, the hour is getting late, so I'm just going to mention some of the topics that have come up in questions that have not been, uh, that have not been addressed um, that, I, that I think are important. Uh, there's another question about integration with Israelis. Um, uh, there's another question that's related to this follow-up question about uh, people who are coming expectations of you know full-time work. Uh, the phenomenon of people who are working multiple jobs um, and are working two hours here, five hours there, and six hours there, which creates uh, problems of attachments to institutions and creates problems for the educators themselves um, and has a financial parts to pay. Uh, has a uh, has an educational price to pay? Has an emotional price to pay? Uh, has a social body price to pay? Um, I'm elaborating on the question. Uh, that, that's a topic that uh, that needs, uh, I think, um, to be addressed. Uh, another question. You no, know, uh, let me add uh, the, the, the counter side of that is our schools. And again, whenever we talk about any particular practice, let or not.
0: We're talking only about certain institutions. Um, schools that see as an ideal having a, a, a stable of uh, part-time faculty. Institutions that are almost completely staffed by an array of part-time people. Sometimes this passes under the headline of, well, we want to expose our students to as many people as possible. In reality, there's also likely some kind of financial motive here to, 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 to keep down salaries and etc. And, and that's, I think, another example where you see the interaction of financial decisions and, and which can't be divorced from educational outcomes.
1: Okay, two other questions that came up again that I'm just going to mention and then I'm going pass the microphone to um, uh, what are the responsibilities of teachers to what extent, excuse me, what, to what extent should one of your programs be charged with guiding and mentoring new teachers um, uh, uh, which is kind of a standard practice in uh, elementary schools and four-year high schools um, to what extent is that a responsibility and I would add also something that could pay for itself in mind dollars and cents or shekels on the road, certainly educationally, Um, uh, it might. Um, uh, 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 And one more question, one more issue, which is a question of coordination and cooperation between the programs. Um, uh, To what extent could some of these issues be addressed more effectively if, uh, in addition to... The good work that universities university is doing. Uh, Goldsmith mentioned uh, to what extent could more coordination uh, between institutions help streamline all kinds of practices, not only the, um, the recruiting issue that you mentioned, um, but also uh, all kinds of other, uh, all kinds of other administrative issues. Um, uh, could more coordination um, uh, work in that direction? I wish we had time for more reactions to that, but I'm going to pass the microphone on uh, to Dr. Bernstein uh, for summary remarks. Okay.
7: So um, first of all, they're very big shoes to fill, Moreno, uh, Garbino, I am uh, sure that I will not be as insightful as he would have been. I know I will not be as funny as he would have been. <laughs> I and mean, I know I will probably not be as sarcastic as he would have been. <laughs> um, on the one hand, there's, uh, what else did I say? So much has been said. On the other hand, we all know that if we broke up now into small groups of people at the patients, everybody could go on and on and talk for hours about some of the issues raised here. Um, so I was wondering, you know, I had a certain idea of what to say, and then I realized that maybe the first thing I want to do is very, very briefly, in a few bullets, summarize. In other words, just repeat again some of the points that were made that I thought were worth repeating. Molly Brodsky said, these are the students we have, how do we best educate them? Uh, and talked about hard mind, and soul. Rabbi Goldsmith talked about the problem of generalizing negatively about students of this, this generation uh, and about the schools, uh, and talked about the good schools, and raised the, uh, the initiatives YU is sponsoring uh, with the women's schools working together. Rabbi Goldstein uh, talked about the importance of looking in the mirror um, and talked about how teachers' jobs often depend on student interest, I used the phrase Torah more and the lack of job security. And Rabbi Alex Israel talked about the overgeneralization and the sensational nature of uh, the articles, the original articles. He also talked about global ADD uh, and uh, also pointed out that there's more learning in many schools than there was years ago. Um, and then talked about how not everyone will be a Tony car. so what do I have to add to that um, I, I'll just in a couple of minutes say that my own involvement in Israel programs began in the old country which for me means the United States um, where I was uh, the first Israel guidance counselor for Amaz sometime around 1980. At that time, I think there may, may have and may not have been even one or two other schools that had such a position of an Israel guidance counselor. Uh, in 1980, the major work was to try to get students to be interested in going to Israel. And then the harder job was then to convince the parents it was okay if their children went to Israel. And this was at a time when not only Hawaii was Stern, but Columbia and Barnard and Penn all gave a full year of credit. Is anybody coming to Israel with parents? I remember one parent who threatened, she would literally jump off the roof. If her son, God forbid, would go to Israel. Of course, they may know it's very, very different. Uh, today, I think, for many parents, Uh, In Orthodox schools, if the child will not go to Yeshiva Israel, they'll jump over the roof. Things have changed very much. Um, Rabbi Bravender founded uh, Michalaboria in 1976, and then uh, opened up a program for 18-year-olds in 1985. 1985. It was only the fourth school. The fourth school for women that could appeal to the group of people here, to modern Orthodox Yeshiva High School graduates coming at that time, there was Machon Gold, there was Michlala, and there was Benot Torah, All oh, right. Thank you very much. Were, this was the fifth. That was it. There were no other schools at the time. And of course, Litzchuto, uh, the Shifcho Show, Rabbi Rabinder. Uh, this was the first women's uh, institution, not only to teach Talmud, but to have a baking Midrash. In 1985, 1976, and then in 1985 as well, there was no other women's institution that even had a baking Midrash. The large numbers of students who are coming today in the, the proliferation of schools, is sort of beyond anybody's imagination. For those of us who are on the other end in 1980, trying to get students, trying to create this institution. Um, A year in Israel, was totally learning, it was uh, a dream that it would become the norm and that most people would come and there would be so many choices for students. But success has its problems. They might be good problems, but success has its problems. It used to be that when you had to fight your parents and fight the system in order to come to Israel, of course, only the most motivated came. And today when it's the thing to do, so everybody comes but no thinking very much. And I question whether, in the history of the Jewish people, we had uh, such a high percentage uh, of people at the age of 18 uh, studying Torah full time, or whether that's actually quite abnormal in the history of the Jewish people. because most Jews got a very elementary education and only the few uh, were able really to move on to some kind of higher education by the ripe old age of 18. And so what we've created is on the one hand something unprecedented, something uh, that demands a great diversity of institutions that will cater to many different kinds of people, uh, and, uh, as Rabbi Alex Israel said, not everybody is going to be a Talmud Um And this, of course, comes at the same time as the global ADD uh, that uh, Rabbi Alex Israel mentioned, and as, uh, as Dr. Birbitz mentioned, the decline in Hebrew language skills. It doesn't begin here. <coughs> there is something about the teaching of Hebrew language uh, that is different today than it was a number of decades ago. Uh, I don't want to enter into what the issues are, probably many factors. Uh, and that, of course, has implications for how, stu- how easy it is, how approachable a text is for a student if they're learning it in Hebrew. Because many of them are coming, not only with global ADD, but with people language skills that don't equip them to do the same work that the people in this room, or at least some of the people in this room, were able to do uh, 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Um, Having said all this, I want to say that it's really a wonderful blessing for the Jewish people. It's a tremendous opportunity for the Jewish people. I'm reminded of the growth of the Jewish day schools in the 1960s and 1970s that took place largely not with Shane your money, but because the public schools in America started to decline. And many Jewish parents who were happy to send their children to Bronx Science decided instead to send them to a yeshiva high school. Because public schools were dangerous, or their educational standards had slipped. And that created a tremendous opportunity, which meant God uh, the Jewish day school movement t- took advantage of. It. We're faced I think with a similar situation in the last decade or two here uh, with the growth of Israel program. There's a great number of people coming. Not all of them are necessarily coming with Shem Shamayim, whatever you think Shem Shamayim is. And it can be many different things I would argue. Uh, but it's a great opportunity that we have. and Clearly, having very diverse institutions with diverse goals Dealing with diverse populations uh, is only better uh, and not worse. Um, I have many other things I could say about Israel peace, about the glut of teachers. Um, I, just yesterday, I had the uh, heartbreaking experience of counseling a young person who thought that what she really wanted to do was come to Israel, make aliyah, and work in Jewish education here, and has sort of found out that not probably going to be so easy as she thought. Uh, And uh, and she's thinking that, you know what, maybe maybe it's better to be a Jewish educator in North America. Uh, And uh, knowing what the job situation is here, and the kinds of places she might want to be, she had reason to doubt whether she could really make a career here. Maybe that's not a bad thing maybe that's just a reality to me it's a little bit sad but uh, uh, the, the efforts that have been made by some to try to distance learning to take advantage of the fact that we have here between Jerusalem and Gush below alone uh, the largest group of, of talented mechanti uh, anywhere in the world uh, who can't find jobs and we all know that so many of them were even not the best but even just good solid teachers how they would be snapped up in so many communities all over the Jewish world Um, finding a solution to that may be beyond the purview of the committee that will work here but um, I want to thank all the panelists because it made me think uh, and that team and uh, I hope people will look forward to being involved in some of this committee work uh, to try to improve what is already uh, a
6: terrific institution for the Jewish people. Thanks again.